You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Well, it's so good to see you and to worship together. So I ask you to please take your Bibles or your device and go to Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 20. And the Israelites have finally been set free. At round after round with Pharaoh and, and plague after plague, Pharaoh finally lets the people go. And as the Israelites are leaving, lots of them, the, the end of the Passover count says at least 600,000 men. This has got to be a million plus people, maybe two million, marching out, leaving. And Pharaoh realizes, who's going to build my pyramids? I've got military bases to build. What am I doing? Bring those people back. And Pharaoh changes his mind and begins to chase down the Israelites. And where are they when he heads out? They are trapped. The Israelites are now trapped with the Red Sea at their back. And this appears to be a dead end. So look with me at Exodus 13, beginning in verse 17. Sorry, verse 20 where we look at the Red Sea of salvation. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And our brother Moses tells us by the power of the spirit what happened, beginning in verse 20. They set out from Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. Then Yahweh, the Lord, spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Piahiroth between Migdal and the sea. You must camp in front of Baal Zaphon, facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they're wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, what have we done? We've released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariot ready and took his troops with him. He took 600 of the best chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out defiantly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army chased after them and caught up with them as they were camped by the sea beside Piahiroth in front of Baal Zaphon. And as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up And there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, stand firm 
and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. As for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. And I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. There was cloud and darkness. It lit up the night and neither group came near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. The Egyptians set out in pursuit and Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen and went into the sea after them. During the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian forces into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth while the Egyptians were trying to escape from it. The Lord threw them into the sea. The water came back and covered the chariots and horsemen, plus the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. Not even one of them survived. But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now as we look at your word. May, may we fear you. Have great desire to honor and believe and to walk with you. May the fear of dishonoring you overcome any fears that we face this morning. May they sweep them away. The, may the fear of dishonoring you and the desire to walk with you sweep away all of the fears and sins and discouragements and doubts and struggles that we have right now in this moment. Help us, King Jesus. May we believe in you, the suffering servant, the son of man, the true and better Moses. May we trust you today. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
You know, as, as we go through Exodus, we're going to see all different things about food. We saw something last week at the Passover meal and the food and eating a leg of lamb and all these kinds of things. And I always think about food combinations. And I'm sure that a lot of us have strange food combinations that we like that maybe we haven't shared with a lot of people. Like I know if you've never dipped a French fry in a Wendy's Frosty, you're missing out. You haven't, you haven't experienced those food combinations yet. If, you've, if you're one of those people who does eggs and ketchup, you should stop. That's a weird, it's a weird thing to do. You're messing up the ketchup, number one, and you're messing up the eggs. That's why like, people say, oh, broccoli's great, we put cheese on it. That's a good way to ruin cheese. You shouldn't, shouldn't combine those. And the strangest thing I've ever seen was actually in my house with Oliver eating his peanut butter and jelly with his Cool Ranch Doritos, his little normal things. And then I see him with his glass of milk, a little 2% milk, dipping his Cool Ranch Doritos in his milk and eating them and going, mmm. And Ivy and I all looking at him like, that's disgusting. Oliver, stop. You're weirding me out. And he's like, I like it. He just keeps doing it over and over and over. And if that wasn't gross enough, he then picks up that cup of milk with all of those chemically amalgamated seasonings floating around in his 2% milk and begins to drink it. I pray for him. I know his pediatrician would frown on this food discovery. And he's gone into other strange combinations, but he still goes, the blue Doritos and that milk is good. Now, you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with Exodus? Not much, but there's a sliver. When we read this account, I hope that you thought at some point, man, this is strange. There are, you will read the Bible and you will encounter things in your life, in your life with God. And anytime we look at the scriptures and go, this is strange stuff. There is no denying that the God of the Bible does strange things. I mean, you've seen an ostrich, right? What is that? It's a strange looking animal, but for some reason, there is something about an ostrich that brings great delight to God. And there are things in your life that you wonder, man, that was strange. Why did it happen that way? Why is it happening this way right now? Why did that happen to my friend? Why did this go down this way? But here's, here's what we can know. We may not ever get all the answers to those things, but here's what we can know. Even strange sovereignty is safe. Even strange sovereignty is safe. So when we talk about God's sovereignty, this big concept, you must, you know on some level, but we really do need to grasp his sovereignty. God's sovereignty is his power, his plan, and his orchestration of everything in the universe. There is not one dust molecule floating outside of the plan and power and orchestration of God. That is perplexing to us, and it ought to be. I mean, how could we possibly and easily and comfortably understand what the all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal God is doing. How everything's working together. The whys and the hows and the wins. We can't. And even if we like to think we could, it ought to make us uncomfortable because we are not God. 
If we think we can neatly arrange and comfortably understand God and it never causes us to scratch our heads and wonder, we are not thinking about the God of the Bible. You are thinking about a God that you've made, a God that's probably in your image, a God that you can understand, and a God that is a lot like you. But the reason God's plan and the reason his sovereignty appears so strange to us at times is because of something God's been saying all throughout Exodus. There is none like me. He will appear strange to us at times. He will appear different, doing things different ways, demanding different things, executing different plans. Why? Because there is none like him. And so when, the God, when, when God leads the Israelites out of Egypt, he tells them, don't hang a right out of Egypt because there's going to be an army over there. You guys aren't ready for that. Hang a left. And when they hang a left, did you see what Moses, what God tells Moses to tell the people? Look at verse 2, chapter 14. As they're leaving Egypt, what does he say in verse 2? The Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back turn around. Don't keep going. Turn back and camp. So stop all this walking you've been doing. Now set up shop and camp in front of Pihiroth between Migdal and the sea. You must camp in front of Baal Zaphon facing it by the sea. Here's what God is saying. Turn around. Don't walk anymore. And I want you to camp and I want you to put your backs to the Red Sea and face where you just came from. Why? God is telling them, I want you to be a sitting duck. I want you to be trapped. I want you to be trapped by the Red Sea. I don't want you to look at what's coming at you. You're going to see Pharaoh's armies, and Pharaoh's going to look at you and go, fish in a barrel. I got them. They're trapped. They've got nowhere to go. This is strange sovereignty. Because look at verse 3. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, since I'm making them camp in this weird arrangement with their backs to the Red Sea, trapped, Pharaoh will say they are wandering around in the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I got them. I'm going to go and get my slave labor back. So why would God do this? This is a strange thing to do, at least from our perspective. He just set, we went through all this effort to set them free, all of these plagues, this Passover, all of this deliverance to now set them up at a dead end in front of the Red Sea. While it appears strange to us, even strange sovereignty is safe. And here's why. Because even though Pharaoh is now assembling his chariots and assembling his warlords and assembling his special forces in hot pursuit, a dead end is never actually a dead end. Dead ends are not the end. Dead ends are not the end. That's point number one. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. As Pharaoh approached the Israelites and looked up, there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites looked up and see him. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. So here's what they do. The Israelites can see this massive Egyptian army. They can see them barreling down on them. Pharaoh's green berets, his seal teams, and Abram's tanks now coming. These are weapons of mass destruction coming after the Israelites. They have no weapons. Israelites have nothing. Their backs are to the sea. It doesn't get any worse than this. I don't know if you've ever been backed into a corner. I, I've been, I've had a pack of wild dogs from Thailand coming at me one time, and it's horrifying. 
And I'm just glad that the Thai people threw rocks at these dogs all the time because if I just pretended I had a rock, they took off running. But there are times in your life where you are backed into a corner and you don't know what to do. And maybe you're there right now, either through sickness or pain or addictions, difficulties at home or in a friendship. You're overcome by sin and you feel defeated. You feel like you're in a dead end. You've exhausted all possibilities. You've examined all the possible outcomes like Dr. Strange. And maybe it's made you cynical and sarcastic. And look, I love sarcasm just as much as the next guy. But at the wrong time and in the wrong hands, your sarcasm and cynicism can become a double agent against your faith in God, which is what happened to the Israelites in verse 11. Look at what they say. They say to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt? You've taken us away to die in the wilderness? That's totally sarcastic. What do you mean there's no graves in Egypt? The Egyptians are known for having awesome graves, for having elaborate tombs. There is plenty. They're basically saying, are you bringing us out to... uh, you bringing us out to Waller because all the graves are filled up in Houston? No, there's plenty. See, they're being sarcastic. Thanks a lot, Moses. And now look how they continue. Isn't this what we told you in verse 12? Leave us alone. So we can serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians and to die in the wilderness. See, we say similar things today. Thanks a lot, God. I prayed, nothing happened. I trusted you, nothing happened. I had it better before I started trusting you, which is never true. But when we get to dead ends, we think it's the end. But dead ends aren't the end. What does Moses tell them? Verse 13. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. So he tells them, don't be afraid. Not because fear is irrational. See, sometimes we talk about in Christianity, no, I shouldn't be afraid of that. No, There are scary things in life. He doesn't tell them, don't be afraid. Your fear is irrational. He says, don't be afraid because something supernatural is about to happen. See, saying, oh, it's irrational, I shouldn't be afraid. No, that's not true. Rather, it should be something supernatural with God is going to happen. He's going to triumph over their irrational fear. Look look at what happens. How? Over this rational fear. How? Verse 13, stand firm. And see the Lord's salvation. What is this? That he will accomplish for you today. You should underline that in your Bible. See the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish. He will accomplish for you today. This has to be one of the best lines in Exodus. Don't let anyone ever tell you there is no grace in the Old Testament. Don't ever believe that. This is the grace of God at work. The people that said there's no grace in the Old Testament have not read the Old Testament. See the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you. This is a flare gun of gospel hope, friends. Here's why dead ends are not the end. Because there is a Lord who has a salvation that he will accomplish for you. He will do it. As as the Israelites have their backs against the wall, against the Red Sea, Moses tells them, look to the Lord's salvation. He will do it. You cannot save yourself. No one in this room can save themselves. No one in this room can repair themselves. History has already taught us one of the most powerful lessons you have ever learned, that all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Dumpty back together again. But we think we can. We think I can fix my life. I can repair what's broken down. If I just try harder, 
I don't need the help of others. I don't need the help of God. It doesn't matter that I'm at a dead end. It doesn't matter that all my choices keep ruining things. It doesn't matter that I'm at this brick wall. Maybe if I just keep pounding my head into it, I'll break through. It doesn't matter that I'm at the bottom of the pit, but maybe if I just keep digging lower, maybe I'll finally get out. Moses says, stop. And look at God's work. Look at what God will accomplish for you. Everyone's greatest need today, right now, is to stop looking at themselves and to stop looking at others and look to the accomplished work of Christ on the cross and the empty tomb. See, Israel is saying, we should have stayed. We should have done this. We had a better idea. And then they start blaming Moses. See, Moses, you should have left us. We told you to leave us alone. This is our reaction. We start, I could could have done better. I can do better. I should have done this. And then we go, you know, it's your fault. It's my spouse's fault. It's my ex-spouse's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my friend. We start blaming all the other people. And Moses says, zip it. It's exactly what he says at the end of 14. The Lord will fight for you. What? You must be quiet. He just talks to Israel like they're little kids. Zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket. It's done. Just be quiet. Because when we, and that's why there's verses all like, be still and know that I'm the Lord. Because sometimes we cannot be quiet long enough to see the Lord's salvation. We cannot be quiet long enough with all of our complaining and all of our fears and all of our blaming of others that we are too busy to see the Lord's salvation. You only need to watch God work. Have you seen the Lord's salvation that he accomplished for you? Have you seen the finished work of Jesus for you by faith? Are you a witness to it? To all that he's done for you, all that he accomplished, every bit of it. There are no co-redeemers in Christianity. Just Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross and accomplishes in his death, paying for our sins. And then he rises from the dead so you can be saved. And he does it all for you. You did nothing. And if you are at the end of your rope, wondering if you are loved, wondering if there's any point in living, wondering if you can actually get out of these sins and you're sick of the same old thing, the same old cycle, Moses and the Lord tells you, be quiet. Sit back and watch me work. Believe the work that I will accomplish for you and know that your dead end isn't the end, but it's actually right where you need to be because you need to know you're out of options and know that God is never out of options. So there's Israel back against the sea. What are they gonna do? Verse 16, the Lord tells Moses, look at verse 16 of chapter 14. As for you, Moses, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. So the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. As for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they'll go in after them. I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, his army, his chariots and horsemen. Here's what God is saying. I'm about to undead this dead end. I'm going to undead this dead end. Spread your staff over the sea and watch me work. No one knew this is what God had in mind. No one is sitting around the shore of the Red Sea going, you know what we could do? This is a crazy idea, but here's what I think. Zaphon's got a great idea. No, no one is thinking about this. This is on no one's radar. We don't have boats. We can't cross. We're doomed. We aren't swimmers. There's too many of us. We have a death sentence in the wilderness. 
And there are so many times in our lives where we think, I'm out of options. What can I possibly do now? I've tried everything. Have you been quiet? And have you trusted God? Because God is never out of options. God can defy gravity. God can defy the properties of liquids to fill their container and push them out to the side because it doesn't matter. God is never out of options because it always goes according to God's plan. Look at verse 19. So the waters begin to spread. The angel of the pillar of fire moves from in front and now to behind and protects. Verse 20 tells us, protects the Israelites from the Egyptians. The Egyptians won't come near. Now in 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and Yahweh drove the sea back, not instantaneous like you see in the movies, like Moses hits the water and and that's not how it happens. Look at verse 19. I'm sorry, look at verse 20. He drove back the sea with a powerful east wind all that night. It took all night long for those waters to spread and to push out from the sides and and dry and turn the sea into dry land. So he's drying the ground right then all night with with the wind coming So the waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and on their left. This is beautiful. No one imagines this. No one thinks this is a possibility. But with God, it is true that all things are possible. He is not hindered. Divides the sea, brings out the dry ground, a miracle. And the Israelites walk through it delivered from Egypt, passed through safely. Now, I know that a lot of people doubt this account. Oh, it didn't happen this way. It was actually the Reed Sea, and it's a really marshy, six inches of water they went through. There's a famous story that Donald Bridges tells about a liberal pastor speaking at an African, predominantly African-American church. And the pastor, this liberal pastor, is preaching the passage, and a man, which is, you know, it happens a lot. I've preached in African-American churches, and they're so much fun. I just love being with them. And, like, we're very boring compared to their services. And, I'm, and so this guy's preaching and tells them, you know, the Israelites passed through, and a brother yells out, praise God for, for delivering the Israelites through the Red Sea. What a miracle. And the guy stops and says, no, 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 it wasn't a miracle. It was just the Reed Sea, six inches of water, it was marshy. That's all they went through. It was, it was not that big of a deal. And he goes, oh. And the brother responds, well, praise God for drowning those Egyptians in six inches of water. We are all confronted with the reality of this passage. Pick your miracle or pick them both and pick with what the Bible says. He splits the sea and the Israelites walk through with a wall of water on both sides because God took what seemed not only impossible, but not even on anyone's radar and makes it so. This is always the way of God. Always. He does things that don't even appear on our radar, and he makes it so. And we can prove it just by thinking about our lives. The child you weren't expecting, God made it so. The friendship you stumbled upon, God made it so. That verse in his word that set you free from that pattern of sin or reconciled your marriage or really brought you to faith in Christ, God made it so. The job you didn't get, And now I can look back and go, man, I'm glad that didn't happen. God made it so. I mean, how do you think people describe this event later to their kids and their friends years later? We are trapped in the wilderness. 
the Red Sea at our back. And you know what? It just worked out. One of those God things, you know? No. The, they sing a song when they get to the shore. We see next week and they just rejoice and praise God. Yes, such a God thing. I, I, I want to put an embargo on the phrase God thing. As though everything isn't a God thing. Like we're surprised. You know, God actually is at work. Believe it. Who would have thunk it? Of course. You, are he, you, here, you being here today is a God thing. You breathing is a God thing. Your sins being forgiven and you promise to raise to new life and be a co-heir with Christ, that is a God thing. Everything is a God thing. God's sovereignty means there isn't a maverick and rogue molecule in the universe and that his sovereign power is on your side. He makes, he brings us to dead ends, camps them with their backs to the Red Sea and he brings us to new beginnings. He brings us through other sides we don't even know about. And nothing can stop him because God's not out of options. That's what happens in verse 23. Look at 23. The Egyptians set out in pursuit. After the Israelites are now walking through, the Egyptians were going in. Verse 24. During the morning watch, the Lord looked down. It's a little like play on words there. So the Lord has to look down. I can't even see you guys. They're so tiny. The Lord looks down at the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud and what? and threw the Egyptian forces into confusion. 25 is amazing. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve. Here you have professionally trained chariot drivers. It would have been the best in the world at this time. And they're going through pristine driving conditions, dry ground. No potholes, no limbs, no twigs, just dry ground. And as these professional chariot drivers, best of the best, secret service of Egypt, driving these chariots, whoa, start swerving a little. And literally in Hebrew, your Bible may even have the footnote. It says that their wheels fell off. Hubcaps are now flying off. Lug nuts are hitting the dirt. Why? He caused it. God made it so. God made it happen. His sovereignty is at work for his people, delivering them, protecting them, saving them. And then the Bible says that he closes the Red Sea on the Egyptian army and the Israelites see the dead bodies of these warlords coming up to shore. They've been redeemed. Their enemies been defeated. Here's what you need to know, beloved. God is not a bystander to history. You must know this. God is not a bystander to history. He orchestrates it. He causes chariot wheels to swerve. It's, he causes seas to open up. He brings them to camp at the sea, to turn their back to it. He causes them to go across it. Watch me work. And think about your life if you're a Christian. How did you end up hearing the gospel? This is your story too. Your parents signed you up for maybe a children's camp. Maybe they dragged you to church. You hear a lesson that someone prepped, you're there, that city, that time, that lesson, that prep, that man, that woman, that place, and God works. You're in college. Why that college? Why that dorm? Why were you reading that book? Why did, why did that roommate, why did that person on the football team, why did that woman at the gym, why did your friend over coffee, your coworker, some stranger, a neighbor, God arranging all of these events so you can believe. Jesus allowing himself to be arrested and wrongly accused 
and convicted as a criminal and put to death. The strangest weekend in human history. See, God is never out of options. What can seem strange to us, strange timing and circumstances, they aren't to God. So we must believe and see the Lord's salvation. This is exactly what Moses tells them. Stand firm and see. See it. And what do the Israelites do? After they see the bodies of the Egyptians, they see the Red Sea closing in. Verse 31, when, the Israel, when Israel saw the great power, the great power the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him. They feared the Lord and believed in him. See, they were afraid of their circumstance. Egyptian barreling towards them. And now it says they fear the Lord. And the, to fear the Lord means they fear dishonoring the Lord. They fear not walking with the Lord. They want to walk with God now. They want to, they believe. Do you remember what they were afraid of? They were afraid of dying. And in a sense, that's exactly what they needed to do. They needed to die. And walking through the Red Sea, friends, going through the water, that was a baptism. It was a baptism a death to their past, and a walking through to a new journey with God. That, bap, that, that Red Sea, that was a baptism. It was a death of their slavery in Egypt to now being redeemed for God. And walking through that Red Sea, being immersed in those waters, wall to wall, was going from death to life. It's exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses and in the cloud and the sea. So he's saying, look, that walking through the Red Sea, it was a shadow it was a kind of baptism that they went through. It was a Red Sea baptism into the leadership of God's mediator, Moses. And you, Christian, and you have gone through a true and better Red Sea baptism because you have been united through the water and blood if you've believed in Christ. And you've been united to God's mediator, God the Son. And he is your baptism, as Paul says in Romans 6. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. So we've been immersed into Christ, his death, and we come out on the other bank, on the other side of the sea, raised to new life. See, Israel leaves Egypt behind as now a freed people through the baptism of the Red Sea. They leave their slavery behind and now believe and are now walking with God. And they leave the bitterness and death they experience in Egypt and now go through this Red Sea baptism and are now walking in a new life with God. Have you? Have you been baptized, not just with water, but with blood? the water, and the blood? Have you been baptized into Christ? Have you believed that when he was crucified, which looked like to be one of the strangest events ever, where the Son of God, what looked to be like a dead end, him being crucified, no one comes back from crucifixion. 
but that he was doing that to pay for your sins. And in fact, he did come back from crucifixion, but that his death was actually the dead end of death. That in the death of Christ, he is undoing all the dead ends on this earth. And he's going to make all things new that when on Easter morning, his heart starts pumping blood and blood surging through his body like water surging back in the Red Sea. Have you seen the Lord's salvation that he accomplished for you on Calvary? And the drowning of those Egyptians is like the drowning of our sins in the blood of Christ. When Moses says, you will not see these Egyptians again, it's because your sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. And now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, the gospel defies what we think to be strange sovereignty. The gospel defies what looks to be all dead ends. And the gospel proves that God is never out of options. Like no one would have imagined the Red Sea is going to be the way to salvation. No one would have thought the Son of God being nailed to a criminal's cross would be the way to new life. And no one would have thought that a man rising from the dead, walking out of a tomb, would actually be the way that you and I in the 21st century would be forgiven of our adultery, be forgiven of our drunkenness, be set free from our lust, and be set free and forgiven and given new life. The crucified and risen Christ is the unexpected, only option, turn that we all need. Have you turned to him? See, the strangeness of the gospel is the salvation of our lives. Rejoice in the surprising strangeness of a split sea, but rejoice in the surprising sovereignty of the resurrected Son of God, of a forgiven life, of a new eternity, that you have a future with Christ, all by grace through faith, if you'll believe. This is the message of the true and better Red Sea of salvation, the water and the blood of Christ. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.